0: You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell closes his series on the topic of inputs, outputs. In the second part, Linnell asks his radio audience Are you confident? Do you believe you are a winner? Let's join the conversation.
1: Inputs, Outputs Part 2 The Mind. Here are the questions I have for you tonight. First question, are you confident? And then the second question, do you believe you are a winner? Now, to start the show, I want to chat about an input that's been hitting us up every day on the news. And before I started the segment on inputs, outputs last week, I talked about, well, last week I talked about inputs, outputs, but before that, I spent a lot of time on fear, conquering fear understanding fear even provided in some ways a formula for conquering fear okay and now the news is hitting us with nothing but fear right you might be like well what are you talking about linell i think most of you may be smiling and thinking okay he's going there but yes ebola it's almost impossible to read the paper look at the news or scroll through a news feed without seeing something about the spreading Ebola epidemic. And so I do have a perspective. I do. And I want to share this. And I'll tell you, it's also fascinating to watch the media or watch the way the media chooses to cover the stories we've heard so far about this virus. Since I've encountered the first bit of information about the unfortunate outbreak of Ebola in Guinea and Liberia, I've noticed that there's been one common thread. And it's interesting because when this happened late 2013, right? We, you know, it's it's just now hitting really the mainstream. But the first article I read was more informative, right? This is in Guinea, you know, a couple of cases in Liberia. And I really didn't see this common thread then. But shortly after the common thread started to show up and you're probably like, well, what thread are you talking about, Linnell? The thread is B Afraid. Be afraid. It's all about fear, folks. It's all about fear. Now, my perspective on it, okay? I want to give you a few examples because I've noticed that there's a few flavors of fear and I've distinguished uh, these while staying informed on the spread of the virus, okay? Now, the first flavor of fear or of the story was something like this. Look at what's happening to them over there. That's scary. Okay? That's the first flavor. And I'll say it again. Look at what's happening, or well, another way to put it, look at what's happening over there to them. That's scary. Does that sound familiar? Just stick with me, okay? Now, the second flavor of the story was, as it started to shift, what's happening over there to them, is spreading. What does that mean for us? This is getting scarier. All right. That was the second flavor of this story. The third flavor of this Ebola story was this is getting scarier. How do we make sure what's happening to them over there doesn't happen to us over here? We are legitimately afraid now. Okay, that's the third flavor of the stories that we've seen in the media about the Ebola virus. Now, the fourth flavor, which is recent, the fourth flavor of the story has been who let them bring that or who let them bring what they had over there, over here, where we are. We are upset and afraid. Okay, that's the fourth flavor. Here's the hint. All right. Here's the hint. They want you to be afraid because creating fear creates profits. Can you see the pattern? I mean, check this out. The majority of the stories I've read, seen or heard about Ebola have all been soaked in fear. And so instead of educating us about this virus, how it spreads, how we can help minimize that spread. The majority of our media outlets have decided to scare the daylights out of us. I mean, if you talk about information, if you talk about public service and that is who they're supposed to be for us, then inform us. Don't just tell us the bad. Tell us the good. Don't just tell us, you know, what sells this whole fear phenomenon, but also educate us on what it is that we can do to minimize the spread of this unfortunate disease. So my question is, why would they do that? What's in it for them? Like what's in it for the media to do something like this? Now, on a previous show, I shared that fear freezes us. It completely freezes us. And so we typically get stuck when we're afraid. Now, so let's think about this. This works for the media because if we're afraid and stuck, then we continue to read, click, and watch their stories. And the more we read, click, and watch their stories, the higher their ratings go. And the higher their ratings go, the more likely they are to sell more ad space. And so for them, (laughs) this is not about being afraid. It really is about revenue. This is what we call programming. Programming. Who are they programming? Not just their station, they're programming you. It's the setup. It's the setup for revenue. That's what it is. Now, I know a lot of people have these stories about genocide and all these other things, you know, at this point, 21st century, if they want to take a group out, you know, you see what happens, right? They just go at the group. You know, it's now the best way to take a group out is to make them afraid. Because if you make them afraid and they're frozen, they become the perfect target. I mean, think about it. If fear freezes and now we're afraid and we're not moving, then you become the perfect target. So now, if this is about revenue, think of it this way. They're making a profit on our fear. They're making a profit on our fear. And by the way, they're not as scared of this as we are. You might say, well, Lanell, how do you know that? I say this because they're actually sending their reporters and their journalists on these planes right into the heart of the outbreak to show you the scenes and pictures of Ebola's terrible toll to solidify your fear. And I read an article, I don't know how true this is, but some of these media outlets have been accused of staging, of actually staging individuals who are sick, And laying there dying like they really don't have the virus and they're really not dying. But they're like, hey, take care. Take, you know, let's get this picture (laughs) so they can shoot it over here and scare you. And they're over there, by the way, remember, they're over there where they're telling you, you should be really, really afraid of. Hmm. And then they get back on their planes and come home with no fear of this virus. Yet some of us here in Chicago or other parts of the country we get a cough, and now we're afraid. Now, you probably just got a cold. That happens to be a lot more contagious. Or, you know, you get sick to your stomach, and you, you throw up. You're like, uh-oh, I might have Ebola. No, you might just have the flu. That happens to be a bit more contagious. Can you see what's happening here? It's fear. And so, the long and short is they aren't afraid. And the reason they're not afraid is because they have knowledge. They have knowledge we don't have. And this is what I've, I keep saying it over and over again. We have got to get knowledge. Is it because they know how to protect their cameramen, journalists, and reporters from this disease, even when they are in the heart of the outbreak that they're not afraid? Probably. Probably. Why haven't they given us a story or a behind-the-scenes look how they protect themselves. Like, if you want to have a really good show or a really good program, like, I think that would have high ratings, right? Hey, here's a show or here's a story or article about how our reporters have been on the ground in the middle of the outbreak and they protect themselves. Here are the things that you should know that we have done that will protect you. That's a good show. <laughs> we haven't seen that one yet, have we? Why? Because fear is more seductive. Fear is much more seductive. And so if you want information, then you you have, to, you have to dig for it. You have to dig for the information that you're looking for to educate yourself. So here's the deal. As a certified ontological coach, I've been trained to ask questions and extract answers. So this is just how I think. I can't help but ask these questions. And I'm really curious what questions you all have. And then what are you doing to get questions answered. Because getting your questions answered and attaining the knowledge you need can get us all back to focusing on the life we want to live. Now, don't get me wrong. This Ebola outbreak is serious business, but it's also just the type of thing the media uses to distract us from our life's purpose, goals, dreams, and aspirations, and then get you frozen. Remember, Fear freezes and living a powerful life that is led by your purpose requires you to be in action, to be in action, not frozen. So tonight, I'm telling you, instead of being afraid, get your questions answered so you can free up your mind share to focus on living the best life possible and staying inspired. Because in my opinion, that's a much better lifestyle choice. All right. So that's what I have to say about Ebola. And I probably won't bring it up again. <laughs> and I said, it's serious. All right. So don't nobody go out there and say, you know, Linnell is saying that, you know, Ebola is a dud. No, the outbreak is serious, but it's also just the type of thing the media uses to distract you from your life's purpose From your goals, from your dreams and aspirations, they would much prefer for you to be glued to the TV with your mouth open, astounded at the next piece of news, the next little the little uh, bit of information that they throw at you about what's going on versus you really being purposeful about building your life based on your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, your purpose. All right. So that's what I have to say about that. All right. Tonight's topic, inputs, outputs, part two, the mind. Are you confident and do you believe you're a winner? So some time ago. I shared this story, and I think for the purpose for the topic tonight, it would make sense to share the story again. So I was at Walgreens. This is probably about a year ago. And I blogged about it, too. So if you want to just put Walgreens in the search bar and that blog pop up, um, I don't write about Walgreens too often. <laughs> anyway, so I'm at Walgreens and I'm standing in the checkout line I'm at the Walgreens in my neighborhood. And I'm, I'm trying to buy a few things for the house or maybe it was a prescription. I can't remember. And I, I noticed this interesting exchange between the cashier, female cashier and this gentleman. And basically, this is what went down. The gentleman in front of her was completing his transaction with the cashier. And as she handed him his receipt, she began explaining the survey option at the bottom. And you guys have seen this before, right? She shared with him that he would have a chance to win $3,000 by completing the survey at the bottom based on, you know, customer service and his experience at Walgreens. And with barely any knowledge of her explanation and her apparent optimism, this gentleman took his receipt and muttered under his breath, there is no way I would ever win $3,000. Now, I've told this story before, and I share with you that when I heard that, it struck me as odd. Because when I heard the cashier shared a $3,000 opportunity, my reaction was quite different. I began to think to myself, now, check that out. If I take time to fill out this survey, I could win $3,000. Like, hmm, what could I do with $3,000 man, I need to start making time to fill out these kind of surveys. You know, like, I I mean, that's how I started processing it, okay? And the gentleman in front of me handled it completely different. Like, oh, that's all right, I'll never win. And so I I watched him as he walked out the store, and I noticed that his continence was defeated, you know, his face looked grim, and he basically had the reflection of defeat in his very body language. And immediately, I, I felt... This deep sorrow for him. And my sorrow for him came because I knew that unless his attitude and belief system shifted, he would go on losing more than just survey sweepstakes. But he would go on losing at this game called life and he would go on losing not because he's a loser, but because he lacks the belief that he Can win. Now, you may be asking, all right, what does this have to do with inputs and outputs? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Because our inputs in a lot of way dictate our outputs. And there are inputs that we've taken. Over a long time or years ago, that still impact us today that we haven't dealt with, okay? And so my questions are this. Do you really believe, really believe that you can win? And the second question is, do you see yourself as a winner? And if the answers to those questions are no, consider that it's not you, that's answering the question, but it is the calculation that you're arriving at based on inputs that have settled deep inside you, okay? And that is why the output is no. Now, there are some of us who actually believe that we can win, however, the input is inside of us to translate the actions that we take as no, Right. So you have an idea, but you don't ever do anything with the idea. You get stuck. Fear kind of gets you stuck. It takes over. And so there's a mental belief, but the ability for that input or that belief to translate into an output, it runs into something else that's there. And so that never happens. Now, here's the deal. With every new day and the experience these passing days bring, I am beginning to really understand the importance of viewing life through the lens of possibility and abundance versus the lens of deficiency and scarcity. Okay, How can you win if you're unwilling to play the game? And a lot of us are unwilling to play the game like we're just in it. I've talked about it before last week. Surviving isn't playing the game to win. That's playing the game to survive. There's a difference. Playing the game to win is coming at life with the lens of possibility and abundance. Okay. So. How can you get better if you're unwilling to hear a critic's feedback or how can you get better if you're unwilling to take a deep look at how you view life? And the question really is, what lens are you using to view your life? What lens are you using? Are you waking up every day with the expectation to win? Every day. Like every day you wake up, you expect to win. You expect to deliver a great presentation. You expect to deliver excellent work. You expect to make traction in your life that you spend the 24 hours of that day. It will get you further. Like you're on a journey. You're higher up the hill You're higher up the mountain, et cetera. Are you demanding that life pay you a full salary of happiness, fulfillment and personal contentment? Because if you're not, if you're not, this is a good time to take a look at what's going on with your inputs. Not just today, but inputs that may have created something from a long time ago Okay. Now, if you aren't doing this, if you aren't demanding that life pay you a full salary of happiness, fulfillment, and personal commitment, it may be time to look inward for the answers as to why things aren't going so well. And rather than blaming your circumstance on everyone else, take a look at you. All right. Now, in the book, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, talk about him all the time. He says something and I want to call it out. Quote, remember, no more effort is required to aim high in life to demand abundance and prosperity. than it's required to accept misery and poverty, end quote. No more energy. So some of us are always tired or some of us are always saying, I don't have the time or I don't have enough or I don't have this. I don't have that. Remember, no more energy, no more effort is required to aim high in life and to demand abundance and prosperity. than is required to accept misery and poverty. Misery takes energy. All right. Being poor, poverty takes a lot of energy. And I'm not talking about what you have in your bank account. I'm talking about the mind inputs outputs the mind what's in your head because what's in your head what you see around you is the evidence of that that's where we need to get real clear i got to share this poem because i think this puts a, the perfect period at least on this little bit that i wanted to share tonight about this and the poem is by jesse b rittenhouse i've shared it before and the name of it is called my wage and here's this is how the poem goes i bargained with life for a penny And life would pay no more. However, I begged that evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is just an employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. Tonight, demand your full payment from life. You can achieve whatever you believe. You can win if you choose to play the game. If losing is not an option, then losing is not an option. And so what I'm saying tonight is today and every day, choose to be a winner and set your life up with the inputs, the inputs you need to be that winner, okay? Inputs, outputs, part two, the mind, the questions I'm asking tonight, are you confident? And question number two, do you believe you are a winner? I got Andrew from the south side of Chicago. Andrew, you're on the air with Lanelle Harris, Inspirational Perspective. How are you?
2: I'm doing very good, I don't know. You know, the word confidence, ethnologically means with faith. And faith is a matter not of blind belief, but of conscious knowledge. And uh, when people are clear as to who they are and what their purpose in life is, they're in a much better position to be successful in whatever endeavor they embark on. Amen Amen um, to
1: that. (laughs) There's
2: something called uh, behavioral economics, which has to do with how people conduct themselves insofar as their belief of you know, being successful at whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And there are, um, you know, cause and effects. You know, a woman who I really admire is Linda Johnson, daughter of John H. Johnson, of mm-hmm. e. she's She's um, a Nutrin Buddhist, and Nutrin Buddhism deals with laws of cause and effect and karma. And it has a lot to do with just, in every aspect of a person's life, what they do as showing they believe they can be successful at whatever they do. And when people get into habit patterns of speaking about what they want as opposed to what they fear and um, assiduously avoiding what constitutes self-negative language, they tend to find themselves being more successful at achieving their goals.
1: Well said. I agree with everything you said, Andrew. I couldn't say it any better, man. Thanks for the phone call. Thanks for dropping that knowledge for us.
2: Thank you, Lionel. It's always inspirational hearing you. And, you know, I'm actually a candidate from Mayor of Chicago. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the radio, but uh, I believe I can actually win.
1: Yeah, well, I'm happy to hear you (laughs) say that, man. And I believe that you can, too. I believe that we all can. And it's really just a matter of... Perspective and shifting our minds in a way that uh, we actually uh, create that for ourselves, man. So, thanks so much for the phone call. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, great comments. I can't say it better. Um, it's wonderful. And I think that really uh, it sets us up for the next thing that I wanted to share, which is really about confidence, right? I love how he, the comment that he made about confidence and what confidence means. I took a note there. I'll definitely be researching more about that word, man. And this is why I appreciate you guys, because you just, you know, I'm constantly expanded, right? Listening to the station and being on the air. So I appreciate that phone call, Andrew. This is what I was going to share. And this is in regards to confidence, because I experienced a lack of confidence in my own life. And uh, I'm just thankful that I can distinguish it now so early in my professional career i was a a fairly timid and quiet guy believe it or not and um i was elevated to management largely due to my knowledge and expertise but what i lacked was self-confidence and i lacked the self-confidence to be really really be labeled a leader okay and so i often struggle when expressing an idea or articulating a point of view that I knew would not be popular or well-received by my peers or other leaders with influence. And that was until I had the opportunity to work for a new boss. Now, the best way to describe my new boss would be a bull in a china shop (laughs) or a lackluster leader. Okay. And this boss was new to our department. She was new to the work and really held no reservations when making erroneous claims and barking out orders. And um, so due to my deep experience in the field, I quickly realized that this leader was clueless. Like we'd be on conference calls and, and something would be said. And I'd be like, what? You know, cause I did know my work. I didn't have the confidence I needed, but I knew my craft. Okay. And uh, like a lot of us out there. So, And what I noticed was that, you know, it was cluelessness. And even though clueless, the demands and the messages that were relayed were relayed with the utmost confidence, utmost confidence, even though there was no idea of what was being said. And so my boss's direction, whether correct or incorrect, came with a heavy weight of influence due to the tone of unwavering confidence. And or faith, like what Andrew was saying, right? Like, hey, do this, because if you do this, this will work. And often I'm like, no, nah, I won't, because I mean, I knew the science behind my industry, okay? And I'll tell you, even today, I still consider that boss one of my worst leaders, period. One of my worst leaders. But let me tell you something. This troubled tyrant, because <laughs> that's, that's really what it was, taught me a very important life lesson. And that lesson was confidence creates influence and influence creates power. Because even though this boss of mine did not have the skill set, because things were communicated with power and confidence, people jumped and they moved. And shortly after this boisterous boss of mine was terminated and for probably obvious reasons, as you can imagine, I made a commitment to myself and that commitment was to be more confident. I was an expert in my field. I had read countless books, blogs and white papers, coupled with years of application of that knowledge. And if someone could garner that much power and influence by wearing a costume of confidence and not truly mastering their craft. Surely I could do the same as an established expert. And so I did. Now, that was a long time ago. And since then, I've encountered a plethora of confident, lackluster leaders, along with timid, quiet and insecure experts. I've done what I could do to encourage and build the self-confidence of these definite experts. But all too often, their lack of confidence killed their careers. Now, the longer I live and the more I experience, I'm beginning to realize something, and that's that the lack of self-confidence not only kills careers, but the lack of confidence kills relationships, the lack of confidence kills ideas, the lack of confidence kills dreams, and basically, the lack of confidence is an unleashed serial killer, period. So if there's something you want to be afraid of tonight, be afraid of that if you can see it in yourself. Like be afraid of that. That can do more damage than some of the stuff the news is talking about. Okay. So this is what I want you to think about. Where are you lacking confidence? What do you need to begin to build your self-confidence in the areas that you identify? I got to tell you, I'm thankful for, you know, that troubled tyrant I called the boss years ago, because somehow out of that chaos, I walked away with a lesson in self-confidence. So where is the lack of confidence killing you? Like, where is it stopping you? Where is it freezing you? And how long will you allow this serial killer to run loose in your life? If you know something, know that you know it. If you want to be something, be all that you want to be. Exercising your mind, that's the key. Think constantly on your desired state of being because that is what unlocks self confidence. But here's the deal it takes work. Confidence doesn't come for free. There's a quote by Norman Vincent Peale, and he says, Believe in yourself, have faith in your abilities. Without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers, you cannot be successful or happy. Napoleon Hill has what we can call a a self-confidence formula. And I'm talking about inputs and outputs tonight. And this is the type of thing. if If you're struggling with confidence, this is the type of thing that you really need to be studying. You really need to be using your time absorbing. Napoleon Hill's self-confidence formula has five different areas of concentration. I'm going to read off the first three. You have to do the work to read off the last two. OK. And again, you can look it up on Google. Napoleon Hill's self-confidence formula. You got to do some work. First, he says, I know that I have the ability to achieve the object of my definite purpose. Therefore, I demanded myself persistence, aggressive and continuous action towards its attainment. All right, this is the formula. He says, memorize this and repeat it to yourself. We're talking about inputs, and I'm talking about the work that it takes to build your self-confidence. Number two, he says, I realize that the dominating thoughts of my mind eventually reproduce themselves in outward bodily action and gradually transforms themselves into physical reality. Outputs, inputs, outputs. Therefore, I will concentrate my mind for 30 minutes daily upon the task of thinking of the person I intend to be by creating a mental picture of this person and then transforming that picture into reality through practical service. Number three, I know that through the principle of auto-suggestion, any desire that I persistently hold in my mind will eventually seek expression through some practical means of realizing it. Therefore, I shall devote 10 minutes daily, 10 minutes, 10 minutes to demanding of myself the development of the factors named in the 16 lessons of the laws of success.
0: This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Lionel Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.